Let's stand for a word of prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We praise thee, O Lord of hosts, the Almighty Lord, the Almighty God, that you have chosen us to be your sons and your daughters. It is by the freest, most glorious grace that we can possibly imagine, and we praise your holy name. Bless us now for a few minutes to see in your word a few more things that you have to tell us about your adoption of us. And may it, O Lord, inflame our hearts to serve thee better, to love thee more, and to live more like your children here in this world. For we ask this, not for our blessing or our honor nor our glory, because you've given us all that we could ever have, but for your honor and glory that we might manifest your goodness before men and angels by our lives. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We saw this morning that when God looked down upon this world as if he were in an orphanage, he saw men indeed, but he saw them all filthy. There was not one that did good, no, not one. There wasn't one that was interested in God being their father. They were all his enemies. There was no fear of God before their eyes. They had all gone astray. They had all gone out of the way. They had all together become filthy. There was none that was righteous, no, not one. And because of God's holy nature, he had to hate all those children, which was you and me. And as I said this morning, if we had had any role in our first birth, we should have stopped it. And I hope that you'll remember that whenever you see one of these sweet little babies that mothers love to look at and say, what a sweet little baby. And though we're thankful for God's mercy in bringing them to us, and the Bible tells us that they're a blessing, I want you to know that if it's not for the grace of God to intervene in behalf of that child, they will spend an eternity in hell because of their connection to our first set of grandparents, Adam and Eve. And to think anything else is to be deceived. I showed you this morning, and I hope that it was a blessing to you, that justification is a great thing. But I, I want not a judge that will pound his gavel and say, that man has been acquitted, is free, is forgiven, and is righteous. I want a judge that will descend from his seat and embrace me as a son and say, not only is he righteous and acquitted, he's mine. I want him to come home with me. I'm adopting him. I want him to have my name. And I want to give him my inheritance. That's a blessing. And that's adoption. And if you've got a heart this evening that loves the Lord at all and that is spiritually minded at all, it is beyond description, and I don't know how to describe it truly to you. But what a blessing adoption is. All the other steps in the operation of grace, in the works of God in saving us, is so that He can adopt us. He justified us so that He can, because He could not have a son that was wicked. That's why He cast Satan and His angels out of heaven. But he made us righteous through our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that God planned it in Ephesians chapter 1, that we have been predestinated to the adoption of sons. 
Adoption isn't some willy-nilly thing where God simply pulls up in front of the orphanage and opens the doors on a limo and says, anyone interested? If he left it that way, how many would be adopted sons of God? None. And heaven and his mansions he's prepared for us would be empty. Instead, he must come in there and against our will, spitting on the glass and turning our backs on him, he has planned and purposed that he will adopt us and do all the work necessary in order to make us willing and cooperative and loving sons of his for eternal heaven. And he'll do that. But we notice that it was based on predestination. Ephesians chapter 1 stated that so plainly that God predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. That destination was determined beforehand. It is not determined by the will of a sinner, nor by decisional regeneration, nor by an invitation at a crusade, nor by any other means. It's by the will of God, who, as we read a few verses later in the 11th verse of Ephesians 1, said that it was by him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That is how we become God's adopted children, and that sets the adoption process into operation by God purposing to adopt. We then come to the fact that God must pay the legal fees in order to adopt us. And the legal fees are required by his own justice. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. It's easy if you have not thought carefully about our salvation or heard it carefully, and I hope you have, to think that God has to redeem us from the devil. The devil's hold over us is very slight. The devil knows that his hold over us is God's hold over us by God's justice. He got Adam and Eve to sin because he knew what God's justice would demand. The soul that sinneth it shall die. When we talk about a price being paid or legal a legal transaction being accomplished in order for God to adopt those children that were otherwise totally unacceptable. They were filthy and he hated them and he will torment them forever and ever in hell. The payment that is made is against his own justice. Because he is such a perfect father, the only children he can have must be perfect also. Because he is so infinitely holy and perfect. And so a fee had to be paid. And that fee had to be paid to himself. And the fee was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the death, first of all the life, then the death, of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of all those children. He took on himself their nature. He lived the law perfectly. Then he died under its demands in order for us to be adopted. Because God could only adopt a holy child, a righteous child. And so Jesus Christ made us righteous so that God his Father could adopt us. We see this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. There it is. We were under the law. And the law said that soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so Jesus Christ came and took our sins upon himself. And so the law said, Jesus Christ must die. 
And Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life with our sins on his account. And by that transaction, God was able to adopt us. And when Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven, he offered that sacrifice to God and it was accepted. And in the hands of God were the legal papers that he now had a right to us because we were righteous. It's glorious, my friends. Look at John chapter 11. You want to see a pagan prophesy of this? John chapter 11. And oh, to call a Jew a pagan. But what else do we call someone who denied the Lord Jesus Christ and led his crucifixion? Totally confused. I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if those Jewish leaders had known anything, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I read in in John chapter 11, verse 49, that one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all. Now for a few verses, he's going to be filled with the wisdom of God. This is the man that led the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But for a few minutes few seconds. The Holy Spirit is going to cause him to prophesy properly about Jesus Christ. He says to his fellow Jewish leaders, ye know nothing at all. Now that sounds like Jesus speaking to them. Verse 50, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself. That's why I'm telling you that God moved him to say these words. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. You see that, brethren? That's you and that's me. And that's Caiaphas who stood there and said, crucify him. But he said Jesus had to die for the nation so that the nation wouldn't have to die for itself. And he not only included the Jewish nation, he included Gentiles. That, God, that Jesus could gather together all the Jews and Gentiles that are God's elect children into one. And that's Caiaphas for us. That's the transaction that took place so that God could adopt us. But we've still got a problem. We have a God that wants to adopt sinners. And why does he want to adopt sinners? Because he feels sorry for those little wicked children that were filthy and spat on the window? Because he was feeling sorry for them going to hell? No. No. Don't ever believe that or think that. That is not why God created, and that is not why God saves. The God of heaven does not save for such a ridiculous reason. Why is it ridiculous? Because their punishment is what they deserve. And he is a perfect God, which means he always gives the objects of punishment, what they deserve. God saved men for a very simple reason. And the Bible declares it from the beginning. To manifest His own glory. He wanted to display to the universe His incredible glory in His grace and His mercy. And so He created a race of men that were lower than the angels. He bypassed the angels and saved some of those men in order to manifest how merciful he was by delivering men from their sins. And he left some of those men to go on to their just reward in hell. And the, and the contrast in that great day will be so incredibly infinite. And it will be incredibly infinite because he is infinite. Amen. In his wrath and his judgment on those sinners and his mercy and his grace and kindness on us who are saved. And brethren, it's nothing within us. 
It is entirely by His free grace. And we can never be puffed up, proud, or anything like that. We can just bless His holy name and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's how we go down to our house justified. But we've got a problem. God purposed that. Jesus Christ paid for it. But there's no way that the God of heaven wants any children in his presence with the nature that you and I still have. Okay, let's go back to that orphanage where we have God looking at the filthy descendants of Adam. He's purposed to adopt some of them to show how glorious he is. His son has paid the legal sacrifice for their sins so that he can ask for certain ones out of that room to be brought out that he can take home with himself. But guess what? They're still nasty little snots. They still like to spit. They still like to rebel. They still like to revolt. And I want you to find this is the way it is. God has purposed and predestined us to be his children. Jesus Christ paid the sacrifice for us to be those children. But yet we have within us a nature that doesn't love God. So what does he do? He regenerates us. We're born again. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. He's got to prepare us to be his sons and his daughters. We wouldn't be able to love him enough. We wouldn't be able to thank him enough. He wouldn't want our our unholy and profane actions in his presence, nor our words, nor our thoughts. So though he's paid for them legally, we still have that nature from Adam that we got by our first birth. We must be born again. That's why he said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And we want to get to that kingdom because that's where our adoption is fully realized. John chapter 1 and verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God gives us another birth. That first birth that connected us to Adam and Eve condemns us to an eternity in hell. And we, we, we receive, Jesus Christ paid for that condemnation from Adam. But Jesus Christ, since simply by his death on the cross, did not change our nature. We weren't even around with a nature when Jesus Christ died on the cross. We've been born 2,000 years later. At the moment of conception, we have a nature from Adam and Eve. Though we are legally justified before God, we still have a nature that is sinful from Adam and Eve the second we're conceived. And we're 2,000 years after Christ. So something now has to happen to us. And here it is described as being born again. He said in chapter 3 and verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what happened the first time. We were that, the first time you were conceived, the first time you were born, the Lord does not divide between the two in the matter of regeneration in his figure of being born. We're born flesh, and we are those filthy children that deserve condemnation. And not only do we deserve condemnation, we have a nature that hates God and loves sin. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7 of John 3, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. 
The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So after we are born, there's still work to be done in the adoption process. God has purposed to adopt some of us. That in itself is glorious. Christ made it possible. That's glorious. But now he's got to fit us for heaven. And that requires a change of our nature. And the Holy Spirit of God causes us to be born again so that we have a new man within us. You are two people, the flesh and the spirit. They're at war against each other all the time because they're diametrically, diametrically opposed to one another as God is to your old man. But because you have a new man that partakes of the divine nature of God. You have a nature that loves God. You have a nature that loves the same things God loves. When he sits you down at his banquet table with your new nature, there will not be a discussion of what you're going to have because you both love the same things. What God loves, you love because you have his nature. Amen. That's a glorious adoption. That's where we fail in adopting in this world. We may purpose to adopt with the best of intentions. We may pay whatever legal fees are necessary. But then we can't change the nature of those we adopt, and so they may hurt our feelings deeply. Do you follow that? Yep. We wish we could change their nature, don't we? Yes. We wish we could teach them to appreciate what we've done for them. Well, there's a being that can do that. Amen. And he's the God that I'm presenting to you tonight. Amen. Not only did he adopt us, not only did he pay the legal fees, he changed our nature so that in heaven, do you know how long we're going to get along together? Do you know how long it's going to last? Forever and ever and ever. We're not going to run away from home. We're not going to turn our backs on him. Forever we're going to get along because he's changed our nature. And oh, to be like the Lord, to inherit the Lord himself, to always esteem the things that he loves, to glory with him in the things he wants us to glory in because he changed our nature. And that's what we call being regenerated or being born again. And so we have men like ourselves and women that have been predestinated to be adopted. Jesus paid the price. We've been given a new heart that we struggle with because the new man wants to always please God. The flesh is still trying to be that rebel child. And we're going to have that conflict till the day we die. But we have that blessed new man within us that wants to please God. And then we hear the gospel, and we're told this message that you're hearing right now. We hear about what God has done for us. And if we have a heart that's been born again, we love what we hear, and we want to serve that God. We want to be a, an adopted child that requites, repays the, adopted, the adopting father with love and thanksgiving and service. Just as every man who adopts and a woman who adopts in this life hopes that those children will grow up to be thankful for the great work and love and affection that their parents showed toward them in adopting them, we know that we ought to do that toward the Lord. Will someone please go back and ask them to keep that door closed? As we learn of our adoption, we can see for the first time what God has done for us. And we hear for the first time what we ought to do for Him. I want you to look at, at uh, Galatians chapter 4 again. We were there a few minutes ago where it said that Jesus Christ came into the world to redeem them that were under the law. Look what else he does to us. When we, when we hear that message of redemption, 
when he sends that spirit into our hearts and we have the spirit of God dwelling in us and we hear the story, there ought to be a response. Galatians 4, I read verses 4 and 5 the first time. Now I want to read 6. And because ye are sons, God hath sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Because ye are sons, he sends his spirit. Remember, there's a, there's a process going on here. We're sons in one sense, all the way from before he created Adam and Eve. But because ye are sons, he sends his spirit. That spirit within us hears the message, sometimes doesn't even hear the message, like Cornelius. All he does is pray to God always, knowing within him that there's a loving being that is expecting some response out of him. And he prays to God always, waiting for the message. But when we hear the message, we should have a response from our heart that is, Abba Father, which is dear father, which is daddy, which is a personal, intimate term used, it's an Aramaic word, not a, not a Hebrew, not a Greek word, not a translated word, an untranslated word. They both mean father, but one is intimate and personal. And so we ought to, and it's just, it's commonly used in the Bible several times. Abba Father, one untranslated, one translated meaning daddy, meaning dear father. That's the response we ought to have from our hearts because we are now hearing the message of what God did for us. Romans chapter 8 teaches us the very same thing, that God hath sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now look, at, I want you to move on to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We receive God's Spirit, and we receive a new man with a new nature when we are born again the second time. Therefore, we are fit sons of God because we now love the things he loves, and we hate sin in that new man. The old man's still there. We're going to shed him when we get to go to bed in a coffin. We get to shed that old man because he dies. He's corruptible flesh, and we get to leave him behind. And then it'll just be our new man. But I want to talk for a minute about what the pleasure of adoption. And that is our realization of it right now before we get to heaven. It's going to be greater pleasure in heaven. But right now, we can be blessed by considering what he's done for us. And look at Hebrews 12. Do you know the worst thing that happens to a child of God in this world? The Lord allows a few circumstances to enter your life that are a little painful. But they're for your prophet and they are proof of his love the only way that you can prove your love to a child according to the bible which is the only true book on earth is to beat your children when they're wrong and that's what god does for us look at hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. God scourges every son that he receives, and he expects us to understand that because we all beat our children that we love. If you don't beat your children, the Bible says plainly, you hate them. 
Because if you want to perfect them, you're going to have to beat them. If you let them go their own way and have it their way, they're going to grow up to be foolish adults. God understands that. He taught us that in the book of Proverbs. But he also treats us that way. And brethren, I want to point out to you the word scourgeth. Sometimes the Lord's discipline of us is pretty severe. But it's only as severe as we need. He never disciplines us more than we need. He never punishes us more than we need or chastens us more than we need. But he would use the word scourgeth, every son that he receiveth. But he does it for our profit. You know, our life now, the rest of your life in this world is going to be seeking righteousness, backsliding and sinning, being chastened by the Lord, seeking righteousness, backsliding and sinning, being chastened by the Lord. And every time he does that, do you know what it is? It is the proof that your Father in heaven loves you. Just like every child in here that will hear the word of God and will think about it, and as you get older, you will know it for certain. When your parents discipline you, it is proof of their love. It is not an easy thing to do to discipline a child, but we do it for your profit. So that in the long run, you will be a better person and please God more, and because God told us we have to do it. Therefore, we do it, and we do it cheerfully. It's a proof of his love. And he shows us that proof. Look at 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at another aspect of the pleasure of our adoption that we can have now. 1 John chapter 1. In the first two verses of this little epistle, the apostle writes about the Lord Jesus Christ. He names him here the word of life in verse 1. But he says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Now I haven't seen and I haven't heard, but the men that did wrote it down. So it's just as good. In fact, the Bible tells us we have a more sure word of prophecy. If it was just John, that would be the testimony of one. We've got the testimony of all the apostles. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. We can have full joy now if we will get our eyes off of this world, off of our little pains, off of our little disappointments, off of our little worries, and look at what God has done for us. He has predestinated us to the adoption of children, leaving and rejecting many around us. Glorious grace. He has sent Jesus Christ to pay the fee. The fee was not just $100. The fee was not $1,000. The fee was not $10,000. It was the life and the blood and the body of his only begotten son. Then he sent his spirit to regenerate us and to change us. And then he sends us the message. That's why you have me and that's why I have you. Because God brought us together to hear that message. And that's why I heard it in the past. And that's why the men that taught me, including my father, heard it in the past. Because God sent the message so we would know we were adopted. You know, there's a time when you tell every child, we want to tell you something, you were adopted. And we want you to know that we love you. 
and we adopted you because we love you. You know, I got a pretty good job, don't I? That's what I get to tell you. I'm an ambassador of the Most High God. It's time for me to tell you something. You've been adopted. And brethren, if you hadn't been adopted, do you know where you'd spend eternity? In hell. And you know, we try to rescue children from a hell in this life many times by adoption. But the Lord rescued us from an eternal hell. And the message of the gospel is, I have something to tell you. You've been adopted. You have a father that loves you. That's the message of grace. But brethren, we're looking for more. We have our fellowship with this father. We have our fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And we have a fullness of joy that is obtainable now. And it's by being spiritually minded and remembering these things. If you're thinking about something else right now, forget it. Your joy will never be full in this world. If you're a child of God, you're going to be vexed, frustrated, irritated, disappointed for the rest of your life. If you're not a child of God, you have no hope anyway, and I have no words of comfort. But I just want to, that's, that's, it's, it's that simple. If you're spiritually minded, you can be full of joy from this day to the end of your life. Circumstances have nothing to do with it. That's why Paul could be laying in the inner prison singing praises in the middle of the night. Because you know what he knew? He was singing, Lord, I'm unworthy to be called thy son. Years I have wasted, all lost and undone. Weeping, repenting. But he knew he was the son of God. And he was singing about it there in the prison at midnight. Circumstances have nothing to do with joy. Yes, sometimes our flesh will be too strong and it will drag us down. And the apostle Paul would say, cast down. But you never heard Paul say destroyed because he still knew he was a child of God and he had a messenger of Satan to buffet him that none of us have. We may have problems in our lives, but I doubt if it's as bad as what the Lord sent Paul to keep Paul humble because Paul could have been very proud after having been to heaven. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I'd have needed quite a messenger. If I'd have been to heaven and seen things and heard things that were unlawful to utter, Especially when there was a Corinthian church that was wanting to rail on my authority in the gospel. Wouldn't that have been tempting to start talking about that vision? But you know what, brethren? It gets a whole lot better. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We can have a great deal of joy now if we'll be spiritually minded and if we'll seek out this Father. Doesn't all fellowship come when you sit down and you have a meal together and you look at one another and you see the love from him and he sees your love toward he sees your love toward him and you talk about the things that you both love and when you realize we have a kindred spirit how do you, how does that how is that accomplished between us and god that's what we do with one another that's what we do with dear friends that we have we love to sit with them and have a meal with them and talk with them and embrace them amen how do we do it with god Prayer, singing, praise, seeking Him in the love letter that He sent us. All of cre- This solar system was created for one end, your adoption and the glory of God. This book was created for one end, to reveal the message of your adoption and the glory of God. It all serves that end. God, in order to magnify and reveal His glory to the entire universe, created in order to adopt. The whole thing was for adoption and not for our well-being, although that is a blessing we get. 
for his glory. The whole thing. What a message. Do you seek him in his word to see it? I don't care if you're in Genesis or in Revelation. It's all about the same thing. You can get to Genesis chapter 3 and all of a sudden he, the Lord God is standing there saying to the serpent that that woman is going to have a son that is going to bruise that serpent's head. And there you see that obscure prophecy of what's coming, our adoption. That though Adam and Eve cast us into a horrible predicament, God has delivered us from it. Amen. Romans chapter 8. How do you know if you're a son of God or not? It's easy. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How do you know if you're being led by the Spirit of God? Do the things the Spirit of God teaches in His Word. And if you do them enough, and if you're doing them properly, and if you're doing them humbly before God, and if you're doing them and seeking them by prayer and supplication, and in His Word, and begging for them, you'll be doing them by His Spirit, and you'll know that you're a son of God. Because it goes on to say in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There it is again. But I want you to notice something now. In verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, I reckon, and this is the greatest understatement in the whole Bible. And this is a southern expression, and it's the greatest understatement in the whole Bible. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. That's the greatest understatement in the Bible. Paul knew it was, and the Holy Spirit knew it was. They just want you to know that it was. The greatest understatement. Yes, the future glory that's going to be revealed in us is far greater than the little bit of sufferings we go through now. I mean... Somebody want to stand up and tell me the worst thing that's happened to you in your life and you want to compare it to the future glory that I can show you from this Bible? No. I reckon that there is a big difference. 4, verse 19. The earnest... Oh, I love this. The earnest expectation. Now, does that sound like wishful thinking to you? Amen. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. If you read verses 19 through 23, you will find, if you'll read it carefully, I've proven this before and I'm not going to take all the time right now, that creature is the whole creation. It is not the sons of God. It is not the angels. And it's not wicked men. Wicked men have no hope or expectation. It's not us, because look at the contrast that's drawn in verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also. There's two different things being spoken of here. One is us, the other is the whole creation, and it's described in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation. He calls that whole creation the creature in verse 19, and in verse 20, and in verse 21, and he opens it up a little bit more to us in verse 22, and if you'll follow the also that's in verse 21, and you'll find the also that's in verse 23, and you'll find the they that's in verse 23, you'll see that there's a contrast being drawn. And it's a glorious contrast. We are the sons of God. But the whole creation 
is groaning in travail and pain until our manifestation. Because until God reaches that final moment when He declares to the universe that all their sins have been covered, they've all been paid for, I have finally and completely adopted them all. And He has consigned all the rest of devils, angels, and wicked men to hell. Then the universe will have been purged of sin. And the curse will be lifted. You ought to read some of the verses like Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4, and there shall be no more curse. There is a curse right now on the solar system. There is a, I'm not going to go chase it, but I'm going to tell you, and you can go look it up and chase it yourself. The laws of thermodynamics and the entropy in our universe is everything is winding down. You can bounce a ball on a table, and in a few seconds that ball will be sitting still. And this universe is like a bouncing ball, and it will be sitting still shortly. But God's going to stop it before it ever gets there. And the point is, there is a burden of sin on this universe. It was not created this way, brethren. They had free access to the tree of life and could have lived forever. You say, but our bodies couldn't last for... Listen, what are you talking about? You're forgetting the Most High God. He changed things and drastically altered them. He cursed the ground. He cursed childbirth. There's a curse running in the universe. And it's because of what Adam and Eve did. And the whole creation, the earnest expectation of the whole creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The, how do you, the, can you hear me? Yes. The solar system was created so that you, the sons of God, could have a measurement of days and nights, months and periods of time and years. And because we sinned in our first parents, there is a burden of sin and a curse upon all of it. The ground does not bear like it once did. He drowned all living flesh one time with the flood. There was no bloodshed in the beginning. The animals were friendly and all were ag- agreed with one another. Everything changed after sin. Animals ate one another and we killed animals. We ate vegetables in the beginning. The animals ate vegetables. All animals were herbivores. You can read it in Genesis chapter 1. But the world is not that way anymore. We're under a curse. The animals all die. And we have the law of entropy of the whole universe coming to a grinding halt. It's decaying in energy because of sin. Just like we decay in energy. Just like animals decay in energy. Just like trees do. But that whole creation, according to the Word of God, has an expectation for the day in which we're manifested to the universe. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There is a great bondage of corruption in the universe because of sin, but it will be all lifted when God is able to say, there is no more curse. Amen. Revelation 22.4 We have an eternal inheritance, brethren, incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen. We're talking about now the final aspect of our adoption, which we haven't yet seen. And it happens in this world when the adopting father dies. When the adopting father dies in this world, the little adopted son, he could be 10, he could be 20, he could be 50, He goes to the bank and to a trustee and they open a safety deposit box and he pulls out a will and a last testament where that adopting father had chosen that little child 
from an orphanage or from some other place and made him his own son. And he reads on that document that I, the adopting father, give to my son, yes, my adopted son, everything that I am and I have. Everything that is left is his. And so, brethren, there's a day coming in which God is going to give us all that he is and all that he has. And, brethren, he owns everything in the universe. All the silver and the gold is mine. It's all his. But you know what I want to inherit the most? And I want you to want to inherit the most? Him. Him. These people that want to sing about the streets of gold, they are very twisted. Who gives a rip about streets of gold? There is one reason you want to go to heaven, and it's not to see my relatives. Even though I love my relatives, I want to go to heaven to see the Lord. And I'm sorry if I'm attached to him, and you grab me by my ankles because it's time to go see my mother. I hope that she's got the other ankle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be at his feet, and I want to be with him. I want to be sitting at his table and fellowshipping with him, but that's what's coming. He's going to say, I'm all yours. Because we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He's our brother. We're all the sons of God. He's not ashamed to own us as brethren. That's coming. It's our eternal inheritance. It's glorious. It's God himself. It is reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. It is reserved. It is certain. It is sure. It's a reservation. God made it. Can't be altered. Look at Revelation chapter 2. I just want to throw a few things at you as I close about the glory of adoption. Let me just throw a few things at you. Are you going to eat manna in the future? You love my trick questions, don't you? <laughs> Revelation 2.17. Revelation 2.17. He that hath an ear... Do you have an ear tonight? Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This isn't just a message for one church. You just hear this. To him that overcometh. Brethren, can we overcome the little bit of temptation we have and persecution? To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone. And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. And if you want me to spend the next 15 minutes opening up to you the hidden manna and the white stone, you need to go elsewhere. All I know is that the book of Revelation was given to us in signs, but this is good enough for me. I know that manna is angel's food from heaven sent from God. And if I get to eat that in the presence of God and he calls it hidden manna, I'm going to be glorified there and I'm going to love it. And if he wants to give me a white stone that I can't open any further to you, it sounds exciting to me because it's going to have a name in it and you're not going to know my name because he's going to know my name and I'm going to know my name. And between us, do you know what that means? It is an intimate and personal name. Amen. And that's all I need to know and that's all he wanted us to know. And for me to write two and a half pages in a commentary on this verse, you know I've been smoking something I shouldn't have been. That's what he, you know what a, if you, if we have a name between two of us and we're the only ones that know it, it's a, it's an intimate name. Don't all husbands and wives have that and they don't even use them in public usually? And God has that with me. That's what I get out of Revelation 2.17. I get excited about it. And I'm going to eat of some hidden manna. 
Did I tell you this morning that angels desire to look into these things? They were bypassed. 20, Adam said of Eve, she's the mother of all living. Luke chapter 1, in the uh, genealogy of Jesus Christ, it traces all the way back to the Son of God. All men that were came out of Adam are called the sons of God in that sense. But in the sense that we're talking about today, which is by adoption and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the angels have been left out completely, and they desire to look into these things because it's, it is so glorious to them that God would do this. They don't resent it. Oh, no, not the elect and holy angels. They have a holy attitude toward all of this. They love it, and they're our servants because they know that we are going to take an exalted position with the Lord Jesus Christ over them. And they're going to serve us forever and ever. They're going to help us sing, too. Amen. Oh, there's so... You use the outline. I want to get to the Lord's table. Your prayers, brethren. When Jesus said, pray after this manner. Our Father. The first two words. Isn't that glorious? Amen. It's because of what I've told you today. Our Father. Do you know what he said a few verses after that? He said, when you ask something of God, just remember that your heavenly Father already knoweth what you have need of. He already knows what you're asking for. Isn't that comforting? To know that we have a Father that already knows what we need and what we're asking for. He said, if you know how to give good gifts and you're sinners, how much more do I know how to good gifts, give good gifts being your heavenly father. What comfort and confidence that ought to give us when we come to him in prayer. When we say those words, our father, get the, shut the music off. Get rid of the kids. Whatever you've got to, you know what I mean. Get rid of them for a little while. Get away in your closet. That's why the Bible says in your closet. And go in your closet and go to your father and love him. And talk to him. He knows what you're going to ask. He knows all about you. He knows your temptations. We have the Lord Jesus Christ that lets him know everything, every temptation and suffering that we have. He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He's able to succor them that are tempted in that he himself had suffered being tempted. He can divide between your soul and spirit, knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, and he knows what you're going to ask. And you know what the Bible says? As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. When you come to him and you know that you're a sinner, he pities you. He is not toward his children, the angry God of justice, because it's been paid. He is our heavenly father. He has not changed in his nature. And all men and devils, that have not had their sins either reserved by God Almighty in the election of the holy angels or in the sacrifice of Christ. He is the holy God of hate hate and justice. But to us, he's our holy father. His justice has already been satisfied. He has nothing against us. You say, why does he still chasten us? Because he sees that we still need perfection here. But we can still go to him and in one few, in a few sentences say that we confess our sins and he forgives us. Amen. You know what Jesus said? One time Jesus said to his disciples when he was comforting them about self-denial, 
He said, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen. Is that comfort? If you've just been asked to sacrifice things in self-denial and the Lord Jesus were to tell you that, well, I'm telling you that tonight. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, you're going to hear these words someday according to the word of God. Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. God's going to say that to each of us. Do you know Jesus told his disciples when they met him after his resurrection, he said, I ascend to my father and to your father. I ascend unto my father and to your father. Jesus Christ saying, I'm ascending. I understand that one. I'm ascending to my father. But for him to say, wait a minute. For Jesus Christ, the son of God, to say, I'm ascending to your father. Does that make sense to you? It makes grace to me. Amen. It makes love to me. It sounds like the time of love. It doesn't make sense to me. It sounds like grace. What can we do? You know, 1 John chapter 3, we started out with verse 1. We started out tonight with verse 2. Do you know what verse 3 says? Everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What's the effect of hearing a sermon on adoption? Living like a son of God. Philippians 2.15, Do all things without murmurings and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That's what we've been called to do. To be the sons of God without rebuke, no correction, perfect, living like our Heavenly Father in this world. Jesus in one place said about God our Father, when he was teaching to love our enemies, he said, for our father, your father sends his son shine on the evil and the good and his reign on the just and the unjust. Therefore, you are supposed to love your enemies like he's treating his, and by so doing, be the children of your father which is in heaven. Right. Now, I thought we were the children by predestination. Oh, yes. By the legal sacrifice, oh, yes. By regent, oh, yes. By final glorification, oh, yes. But can we live like his sons and daughters? And does the Lord receive that and see that? 2 Corinthians 6.18 tells us that if we will come out from among them and be ye separate, do you know what he says if we'll do that? You know what that means? That means if we won't celebrate Christmas and if we won't have musical instruments and we'll try to live and worship in the simplicity of New Testament religion, do you know what he says? I will receive you and I will be to you a father and ye shall be to me my sons and daughters saith the Lord Almighty. Right. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word Amen. for us to live such lives.